Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. Welcome to the Laugh Podcast, also known as the good stuff. Yeah. I'm one of two hosts, Richard Lust. See you directly across from me is the other host, Mr. Ryan Bull. Howdy. How are you, sir? Doing well. How are you? I'm, I'm pretty good. Summer's speeding away from us. Yeah, we're at, what, the halfway point or so? Yeah, we are celebrating the 163rd episode of the Laugh Podcast. Mm-hmm. You can find our other episodes on Stitcher or on iTunes, or you can go to our website, www.thelaughpodcast.com, where you can also follow our uh, summer box office challenge, which has been quite a bit more challenging for me <laughs> than it has been for you. Nevertheless, this week, we will be reviewing Brad Furman's The Infiltrator, starring Brian Cranston, Diane Kruger... John Leguizamo and Benjamin Bratt. Yeah. I'm home. Did it go okay? Oh, yeah. Piece of cake. Is your undercover done? He's dead, all right. We need to send the message that drugs will not be tolerated. Listen up. Washington wants to make the biggest bust in U.S. history. Pablo Escobar and his main distributor, Roberto Alcano. Are you kidding me? Responsible for 80% of the product flooding into the country. Promise me this is the last one. This plot summary comes from the movie's website. Sick of going to IMDb. Ooh, you're going off script here? I went off script. I went to www.theinfiltrator.com. And... The, pro- the plot summary reads thusly. Based on a true story, federal agent Robert Bob Mazur, played by Brian Cranston, goes deep undercover to infiltrate Pablo Escobar's drug trafficking scene plaguing the nation in 1986 by posing as slick money laundering businessman Bob Musella. Teamed with impulsive and streetwise fellow agent Emir Abreu, played by John Leguizamo, and rookie agent posing as his fiance. Kathy Ertz, played by Diane Kruger. Mazur befriends Escobar's top lieutenant, Roberto Alcano, played by Benjamin Bratt. All right, this crime drama biopic seems to be a little bit more sophisticated than most of the movies we've been watching this year, or this summer anyway. The ones we've been reviewing. I mean, with last week we did The Pets. Yeah, fair enough. And uh, Tarzan and Warcraft and all that. Yeah, Infiltrators is not a summer popcorn fair. It's a little bit more heady. It uh, has more like prestigious acting performances. All right, so the Laugh podcast movie of the year last year was Sicario, which sort of swims in the same waters, dealing with the same subject matter, touching on some of the same themes. Uh, and I think your favorite performance by an actor last year was Brian Cranston in the Dalton Trumbo biopic. Am I right? Ooh, yeah, I thought he should have won Best uh, Actor. All right, so how does this movie compare to those films, our favorites from last year? Ooh, how does it compare to that? I think this is an interesting genre. I don't think it's really gone out of fashion in 40 years. I mean, you could go all the way back to what's uh, Scorpio. Serpico. Serpico, thank you. The Al Pacino film. Uh, We've always had this fascination with crime films, uh, Goodfellas, you know, based on a true story, Casino, supposedly. Well, The Godfather. Yeah, Godfather. I mean, though, that's apparently a little more fictionalized. But 
the departed yeah the departed uh more recent films uh black mass came out last year a couple years ago there's a great film uh kill the irishman Mm -hmm. so i like these films I, i generally don't ever really love them with the exception of sicario but that was even a little more fictionalized i thought this was a good story this was a story i hadn't really heard much about generally when we do these crime films they're located in the northeast you know boston new york something like that and it's either irish or italians i kind of like hearing more about these um southern crime tales Mm. this film is predominantly set in florida So I thought it was an original story. I liked all the actors involved in this. I was really surprised by Benjamin Bratt. I thought he was really good, and I've never thought a whole lot of him as an actor. Maybe that's because he never had to do any heavy lifting in the Miss Congeniality films. Mm -hmm. As you said, uh, Brian Cranston is one of my uh, favorite actors, and he has been for a long time. Uh, Breaking Bad, Godzilla, he was the best part of that film. Another biopic. Yeah, and then uh, John Leguizamo, just touch on him real quick. I think he's one of the most underrated actors ever. <laughs> wow. He consistently wow. steals scenes in movies. He never tries to be you know, the shining star. Mm. But if you look back at films he's been in, the best scenes in those movies always include him. Give us a few examples. Um, I know Romeo plus Juliet is yeah, Tybalt. Yeah, he played Tybalt in the... Uh, Zeffirelli, or not Zeffirelli, um, the 1996 Baz Luhrmann, mm-hmm. Romeo and Juliet. He was also in John Wick. He's the oh, leader see, of the Chop Shop. Okay. He's great in that. Um, More recently in John Wick, huh? Yeah. Uh, what was the one with the um, personality tests? Selfless? No, no, no. Um, I don't know. Uh, we I didn't mean to put you on the, the spot. Yeah. I thought you had him but, chambered. No, I, I, I didn't have him written down. But the, the thing is, he blends in so seamlessly into the movies he's in. You know, very rarely does he star in a film. Well, he's probably the best part of the Netflix's bloodline. So, Well, the thing is, he can do those dramas, and he can be really um, dirty and gritty. But he's a really funny guy. He's had two award-winning Broadway one-man shows. Mm-hmm. Where, I mean, he's telling jokes, stories, singing, dancing, doing everything. Well, he's also Sid the Sloth in uh, Ice Age, the Ice Age series. Yeah. Uh, the Ice Age universe. So, I, I really like him. Uh, what'd you feel about the film? I agree. The acting performances were really strong. I enjoyed watching him and uh, the effervescent Diane Kruger. She she stole the show for me here. Uh, I liked Amy Ryan. As the character, I just that she plays their boss, Ta- uh, Bonnie Tischler, um, and then of course Brian Cranston is always pretty strong. It was like this movie for me was like watching Brian Cranston in different scenes, like a I don't know, like a Where's Waldo book, because you always saw him in the middle of, <laughs> of a giant scene. It was like from vignette to vignette to vignette with him. so Kind of like back in the days when you would watch a movie on cable and it would go to commercial, so you'd flip around the channels and you'd come back around to that movie, but it had been playing for some indeterminate amount of time after the commercial break. So, I mean, that's a negative criticism I have for the film, but overall I appreciated some of the performances. I liked a lot of the menace. I, I like seeing the seedy underbelly and 
the concept of the infiltration of that, um, you know, double agents and stuff like that. One of my favorite movies is The Departed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in that regard, this is this movie is set up for me to to enjoy. Uh, so, I also like movies set in the eighties. Although I feel this movie didn't have enough of that. This could have been more timeless. They didn't. They didn't spend a whole lot of time on production values or trying to put you into that time era, like uh, the nice guys did with, or like they did with the nice guys. I thought that mm-hmm. that was reflective of the era. This this movie didn't seem necessarily to have that, with the exception of a few things. Oh, see, I really felt like I was in eighties Florida. Yeah, uh, from the way, just even the the color balance mm-hmm. was, you know, really orangey mm-hmm. at times there was a lot of that film grain so it felt like an older film uh the clothing and everything just it, yeah, it, it, it made me like feel like i was in the early 80s uh overall though i'm not sure of i mean good to me is in this case sort of the enemy of great and some of those other movies that i've mentioned like the departed and you, you mentioned mm-hmm. serpico and uh casino those kinds of movies are great and i was hoping that this would be in that realm and it just it just didn't reach that height for me so i had less of a time enjoying it than i than i think you did yeah i mean i i thought i i have spent my time wisely and especially looking at all the other movies playing in theaters right now and it's all just popcorn fare mm-hmm. there are very few solidly you know acted dramas out there you know, I don't think this movie's going to win any awards, but it, it's still just good, solid film. Where I think everything else in theaters is a movie right now. Yeah, they're appealing to different crowds yeah. now. So I was very happy with the way I, I spent my money and my time to see this. Um, and, and just like you'd said at the beginning of the show, we've been doing some lighter fare for the last month or so. It, it was nice to be able to dig into something that was a little more meaty. For how me. many movies, how many people were at the movie when you saw it? I think you went early, right? Yeah, I went to it the first Wednesday. showing on Wednesday morning. Uh, there were about 12 other people in the theater oh, with me. Oh, that's pretty good. And I wasn't the youngest person. There were at least five other people Did that check were IDs younger on than the me. way in? I, there were some teenagers in there. Huh. Two uh, different sets of two, and then I, I knew it, I could tell at least one of the other guys in the theater was younger than me. And then you have your regular uh, old people. <laughs> regular old people. You're right there in the middle. Who, you know, who are getting their uh, <laughs> discounted. So you're the handle on the bell curve. Yeah. All right. It was great. So how many people were in your theater? Uh, let's see. Me and my dad. And uh, let me see if I can do the math on that. Uh, two. Two? <laughs> well, uh, this hasn't had a ton of advertising. It's coming out at a weird time of year mm-hmm. for, you know, this type of film, but. I like it. Plus, we generally we're not going to the Friday night at no, seven thirty no, no, showing. No, but I, I think they're probably the same amount of people in the Friday night eight o'clock showing. Yeah. But either way, uh, it's the best anti launder anti money laundering movie since Office Space. <laughs> I was trying to think of other like money laundering is is not a, a sexy topic for no. a, for a movie. No, and, and that was one of my concerns last week I talked about on the show, that this could be very uh, just boring. And, you know, how do you co- get across all this information of what's going on from scene to scene? You know, it's just a lot of people talking and handing across briefcases. Yeah, I'm, I'm proud to say I didn't fall asleep at all 
Wow. Yeah. That, that's I didn't even, I didn't, yeah. <laughs> High praise. Well, one of the things they were able to do, uh, Brian Cranston's character has this briefcase that has a hidden recorder in it. Mm-hmm. And he has to turn this little eagle. So, you know, to turn it on and off. So throughout the whole movie, they keep showing him finding interesting ways to hide that he's messing with his briefcase well, and turning it. Okay. I did. Okay. You didn't enjoy those little things? Uh, no. He sold a sneeze for me. I'm like, wow, he's really sneezing. <laughs> I bought it. Right. And then they had to do a little, you know, yeah. quick cut and show you that he was turning the eagle. I'm like, damn, that guy's slick. That I, works for me. I, I, I see what you're saying about that. I, and, and maybe that also falls in line with where they were in the 80s in terms of uh, surveillance. But there are some things I, I think I, I better save to talk about with that because... Uh, I had problems with it. I had, I had problems with his, with him and his giant, his giant briefcase. But oh no, no! You need to go see the spy museum in Washington D.C. I've and seen some got, of that online. They've got all sorts of stuff like that. To me, it really felt like that spy uh, nostalgia, like you would see in the old Mission Impossible TV shows, mm-hmm. or uh, maybe even A Team kind of stuff. I mean, just yeah, I, it, it's goofy fun. But I think it's a little in- the movie. <laughs> handles it a little too spot on the nose and then and and then it stretches the limits of credulity like and i found that with a lot of things in the movie that i mean i'm going to get into some critical aspects of you always give me a hard time for for having a somewhat negative opinion about these movies but i set my threshold pretty high At, at the end of the year if you take all the movies we've reviewed on this show because i mean we see other films is this on the top half of your list or the bottom half of your list? It's probably on the upper half because of the performances. There you go. But it's on the lower half because of its uh, story. <laughs> and then also the way they present the story. So I, right now I'd say it's probably in the middle of my list of movies. I think I have about 60 or some odd movies that I've seen this year so far. And this is probably right around number 30. Or uh, 27, I don't know. But that doesn't mean that I would... <sighs> There are so many things, problems that I have with the way it deals with uh, s- central issues that I, I have. Uh, I, I I'm having a hard time recommending it unless people are really into Brian Cranston or into like sort of heady, thoughtful movies. Then maybe this is a this this movie doesn't this this movie is not as good as say Black Mass was for me. Black Mass had more intrigue and menace and maybe not necessarily better performances, but at least I understood how all the parts fit together. And in this movie, I was constantly trying to figure things out that were never really fully explained very well. Uh, Okay. I I can kind of understand that. But one of the things that I disliked about black mass and I dislike about a lot of these gangster films is it always seems like this gang is made up of about four or five guys Mm-hmm. You know, all at the top, and they're doing some huge criminal operation, right? Uh, Whitney Bulger's the Whitey. Whitey uh, is the Whitney's central figure. Sister. <laughs> yeah, don't don't call him. <laughs> don't Whitney. call him Whitney or Whitey. Actually, uh, he was one of the heads of the whole Boston mob scene. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like he was having to carry out a lot of the work by himself. And I mean, me in these small groups, where in this film. You only see Pablo Escobar for a fleeting second. Yeah, it's you're sort dealing of a, with all of his middlemen instead, and you see there are all these layers, and 
you start to get a sense of how big the scope of their illegal business was. Well, it's it's weird that they should mention even Pablo Escobar because nothing really that Mazer did directly implicated Escobar. But a lot of this uh, surveillance and a lot of the intelligence that he gathered about the drug trade led directly to the uh, Panamanian dictator's conviction mm. in prison, um, Noriega. So, I mean, that I don't understand why they didn't go with that angle, except maybe Escobar is right now a more popular drug lord than Noriega was. Well, weren't they trying to go after Escobar, and it was more they found a thread and started pulling on it and weren't really sure where it was going. Maybe. Like they had no idea they were going to take down the seventh largest private bank in the world. They had no idea like how well these private banks worked with the underworld. Right. They didn't. I mean, it was a unique attack at going at these mm-hmm. drug lords. I guess my point is that when it, when it all shakes out, Escobar isn't even really a, a, a major part in, in uh, Mazur's life story. Yeah, I mean, Escobar goes on until what, the early 90s when yeah, he's killed? Yeah, and like you say, in the movies, or in this movie, he's he may or may not have been in there. Like, yeah. I think at one point, I have no problem spoiling this because I, I think it's a, I mean, I think the audience should know going in. Like, with Secret Life of Pets, it wasn't really about the Secret Life of Pets. With this movie, he thinks he sees Escobar in a hotel lobby one time and it may or may not have been him. It's not really clear. And that just kind of bothers me because the, the insertion of random details and random characters into this story was unnecessary. And I think in a lot of cases it, it didn't work. But isn't that the point that the movie's trying to make with the story it's telling? Instead of going after the individual, go after their money. Yeah, yeah, I get it. So, but why market so, it or make it a make it a big element? I mean, I understand you got to put fannies in the seats. Yeah, uh, but uh, I don't. Know. I, I I like that whole middleman aspect. To me, it always bothers me. Like uh, the movie The Raid, film we both love. I, I hate that the cop is able to infiltrate and get to the highest echelons of this huge criminal organization in the blink of an eye. Uh, the Departed is the same way. I think The Departed stretches it out a little bit more than maybe The Raid, but even but, this movie, you don't get a sense of the scope in in, in terms of the time. Like mm-hmm. the amount of, I think he was in this undercover operation for five years. That's not, that doesn't really come out in the movie. It doesn't seem like that. It seems pretty rapid and quick, pretty rapid and quick. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I don't think that's, I mean, that wasn't the case in real life. So I understand what you're saying about the different layers, but in, if you were to add, like name, the central or who was the central conflict or what is the central conflict of the movie? That's the pro the movie has a bunch of these independent, loosely connected skits. Mm-hmm. And it seems like there's a bunch of characters that look and act a lot alike. And it's hard to differentiate between them. And then there's like these random scenes that I guess they're connected because Mazer's in them, but I'm not really sure how they're interconnected. I, I think this is a movie we would have appreciated a lot more in the nineties and they definitely could have done in the nineties. I mean, there's no CGI special effects where Mm -hmm. it couldn't work. But now with long-form storytelling on TV, this feels like it could have been a miniseries on A&E. Yeah, and so some of the scenes seem truncated. Yeah, I mean, if you're saying, you know, this is a five-year story, 
you could easily stretch this out into 10 hours and do 10 episodes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I but, could see that, actually. I would I would have preferred that. Mm-hmm. I, I think just some directors and writers, they still want to hold on to the movie form. Mm-hmm. And that we're going to tell a story no matter how long, no matter how complex, we're going to try and boil it down to two hours. I think the problem with this is they didn't boil it down enough. And they added things for um, uh, thematic purposes or to tie in other characters that didn't really exist in Mazur's world to make a broader point. And I think they fell short there. I don't know. I, I thought that, I, I, I mean, I would disagree. And we can get into some of that in spoilers, right. I guess. But fair enough. I thought they did a good job of boiling this down. Where well, it, all right. Just I wasn't a, looking at my watch. I, I, I didn't. The either. two like hours said, flew by. That's that's. I I appreciate that, but a lot of times it, that while it was flying by, I was like wasn't looking to see <laughs> what was happening. You know, trying to figure it out in my brain. And I'm not an unsophisticated movie un, unsophisticated movie watcher. Not when you stay awake for so, the whole film. <laughs> so things uh, like this don't intimidate me. But I mean, can you name? Can you name one of his? Can you give me the name of the of one of the guys without looking at your notes? No, but I can never do that in a movie. I'm horrible with names. Well, can you give me the, like the function first ki- of one of the guys that he was going against like in the movie? Like the the primary function of his main adversary. I know the ben- Benjamin Brack character was originally a jeweler. And then he helped uh, funnel money in Colombia into legitimate businesses. And he handled a lot of the cash operations, but you're not you're not really sure. No, I, I know that. I know he was involved in the cash okay. aspects because there are like major characters that are in here that oh yeah that have no. I appreciate that direct that, consequence. That, I mean that this isn't a gang of four people. All right, another problem that I had before we get into the spoilers is the relationship between Emir played by Leguizamo and Brian Cranston. I thought that was tonally a little bit off. And I wonder what your take on it was because at the end of the movie, they're supposed to be best of friends at the beginning of the movie. Not so much. I'm wondering if they ever earned that friendship in the movie itself. I, I don't know if they ever fully earned it. I mean, to be completely honest, I thought Leguizamo disappeared for about 40 minutes in the film. And like I said, when he comes back in, he sti- he has arguably yeah. the best scene in the movie. That so, may be a function of his powerful. And awesome. Yeah, I agree. I was also impressed with uh, Charlie. I think his name is Charlie in the movie. But he's starring in um, Preacher now. He's a vampire in Preacher. Dominic is the name. Jo- Joseph Gilgan is the actor. I liked him. I liked his role. I wish that it had been developed more. He's like a... A foray into the underbelly or into the to the you know, organized crime mm-hmm. that Mazer or um, uh, Roberto or the Brian Cranston character has to utilize in order to seem legitimate, and I, I liked his insertion or in, inclusion into the movie. I just don't think that they handled him very well. I don't, you know, I like that actor though. I, you know, like I'd like to see him in some more things, Dominic. He's Dominic in the movie. Joseph Gilgan. Oh, that John Leguizamo movie I was trying to think of earlier. The Experimenter. Oh, yeah, yeah. He played this bit part. He's in it for five minutes. Arguably the best five minutes of the film. (laughs) So, sorry. I want to throw that in there before we go off to spoilers. All right. So, we're getting into spoilers now? I mean, unless you have something else. I think it's interesting that his mother wrote the screenplay, Brad Furman's mom. 
Hmm. I wrote the screenplay for it. Yep. I didn't have down. And, uh, and honestly, this is a big bounce back for, for him. His previous movie was Runner Runner. Yeah, you know, he tried to disavow that. Oh, that was like a studio film. Yeah, he tried to much. take his name off of it. I haven't seen it, but it's bad. Uh, Lincoln Lawyers. Lincoln Lawyer was good. It's fine. And I then, went to see that instead of when you went to go see some movie with uh, our part-time post Sucker Punch. Yeah, one of the most underrated. You went in to see Sucker films. Punch, and I went in to see Lincoln Lawyer. I love Sucker Punch. Everyone wants to beat up on Sucker Punch. I uh-huh. love Sucker Punch. I take punches at Sucker Punch. Yeah. Uh, the director's next film is Scarpa, which is going to talk about a mob enforcer. From the 80s. And it's going to be played by Sylvester Stallone. Oh. So. All right. That could be interesting or it could go direct to video. <laughs> uh, I don't think that the mother had ever written a screenplay before. She was a novelist and a lawyer. Her name, and I should have had this at the ready, which I don't for yeah, some reason. Yeah, but I don't think, I mean, if you're already a writer, if you can write a novel, you clearly understand the form of storytelling. I don't think switching to a screenplay is that difficult. And from what I've heard, a screenplay can be any number of varieties of formats. Yeah, but could you see directing a movie that your mom wrote? Oh my gosh, that would be a bad Apparently there were a lot of arguments about uh, characters. Inclusions of certain characters. I'll, I'll, we'll talk about them in okay. spoilers, though. The man that hath no music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. All right, so this, the screenwriter was Ellen Sue Brown, but she wrote this as Ellen Brown Furman. She's uh, Furman's mother. And they, in an article written for Southern California Public Radio, Michelle Lands wrote about the creative differences surrounding the character of Barry Seal. And Barry Seal was played by Michael Paré in the movie. He is the the person with the ring that Mazer meets in a, I guess, in a bowling alley or something. And then he gets, he's riding in the car with him. Oh, and uh, yeah, he the, gets the horse track or Greyhound racetrack. Greyhound racetrack, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, apparently, Furman wanted him in the movie really badly. Mom didn't. She thought it was overkill, but Mom lost. I I side with Mom on this one. Like, his insertion to me seemed unnecessary and disjointed. And because it wasn't based in any sort of reality, it just comes across as overbearing and random. Well, that guy was an informant. But he wasn't in Mazer's was story killed. at all. Yeah. They're making a movie of him now, Mina, with uh, Tom Cruise. And uh, I'm making a prediction. There will be an Oscar nomination that comes out of that movie. Oh, uh, that. Yeah. How I, it might either be Fat uh, Fat Matt Damon, Jesse <laughs> Plemons is in it, or it might be it might be Tom Cruise himself. He might get an acting nomination. Whoa. Tom Cruise getting acting nominations? That's not a surprise. He often gets nominations. All right. I think he's got five or six Academy Award nominations. Okay. Zero wins, unfortunately. Well, I've made the prediction yeah. last year with Leonardo, or two years ago with Leonardo DiCaprio, and I was right. So. You were? Sticking this one out there. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, Barry Seal was an informant. Uh, he was actually a pilot turned informant, and I think he weighed something like 300 pounds, and he was shot outside of a deli or something somewhere. Mm-hmm. But his insertion in this movie is just sort of like why it's overkill it doesn't it doesn't accomplish anything it's and and because it's such a like i mean it's a 
violent part of the movie and shows the violence of these gangs and what these gangs could do and potentially could do to uh, Mazer, then I, I suppose it makes sense thematically. But I think they could have done that with any number of other characters. Any of the other 600 characters that they had in the movie, they didn't necessarily need to put in this real-life character that didn't exist in his world. So that bothered me. Yeah, I mean, they want to tie it to that pinky ring. and Yeah, but the, I mean, they could have done that with anybody. Keep the secret. Yeah, I didn't mind that as much. There's another death later in the film that I felt was more clunky. And just way too... Well, we're in spoilers, so chance. you can... Oh, okay. Um, The guy who got killed on the dance floor, the effeminate yeah. money launderer. I don't even know who that guy was. Except that he was. He was one of the middlemen. He handles a lot of the business ventures. I mean, he had been in the film earlier. Right, that's my point. He's another flamboyant character who plays a key role. He actually sees this <laughs> the, the, the tape... That Mazer carries around with him everywhere. Yeah, uh, that's the problem I have with that. That everywhere Mazer is, he's got this briefcase with him, and they don't think to look in the briefcase ever. Come on, what's well, got a secret compartment? Apparently, it, it did matter. once open, but not he was only in the room with one other guy. <laughs> yeah, and so they couldn't see it. And still, they had the giant but, but, eight-track player in there, but the reel to reel. Okay, let's go to a disco and. Eat. Yeah, I know. That and the whole let me thing. tell you, I'm, I'm going to tell everyone about you. You're mm-hmm. caught. And then he gets killed right at that moment. How did that guy not tell someone before that? Yeah. Maybe that's why you don't like this film as much. Because the deaths really aren't that memorable. Generally, in gangster films, the way characters get whacked is really, really <laughs> enjoyable. Uh, Joe Pesci and Casino. Well, there is that scene with Lake Wazamo. Where his informant tries to rat him out. Now, that's pretty memorable. Arguably the best scene in the film. Apparently, they really got in a fight. Like, Leguizamo said they started going at it. Mm-hmm. And the guy wasn't backing down. And he wasn't backing down. And when he put him in a chokehold, he meant to hurt him. <laughs> and he felt bad about it. He, like, had to apologize afterwards. He says that made it onto the film. And most of that was real. <laughs> and I think uh, I read when Brian Cran There's another scene, a key scene in the movie with Cranston's wife at a restaurant mm-hmm. and he thinks his cover is going to be blown so he starts affecting this gangster role slams that guy's head into the to mm-hmm. the uh, cake dude didn't know it was coming <laughs> he said he had to apologize profusely after that but he got caught up in the role it was just something he thought in the moment yeah the waiter didn't know that he was going to be slamming his face into that cake it, it was written into the script right I don't think so. Not not in the article I read. Oh, come on. You have a big chocolate cake? I mean, <laughs> that's Chekhov's gut, uh, maybe, right? Maybe. I, mean, I don't know. I, I don't felt know. like the guy's face is going in the cake. Would it have helped instead of Brian Cranston, you had Robert De Niro there? Because you know Robert De Niro would slam a guy's yeah, face. Yeah, but I, I think Cranston's up in that. He's gotten to that level. Oh, and, oh, yeah. But, I mean, to me, that's And I don't even very... watch Walter White. I haven't even seen that other. Breaking Bad? <laughs> yeah, Breaking Bad. Uh, that, that's fine. Though this character is very different from his Walter White character. Mm-hmm. One of the great things, though, about Brian Cranston is he looks like an ordinary guy. He's very believable as being just a normal person who's sometimes in somewhat, it's not somewhat, this is definitely an extraordinary situation. Mm-hmm. And somehow he's able to just handle it and you feel for him. Yeah. You know, and you feel like at times you can see the gears turning in his head and how emotions or, you know, just coming through, it all feels believable. He's he's one of the most naturalistic actors, I think, working right now. Uh, I, yeah, like I said, his performance was believable. I'm not sure he 
like the character, the story is believable. Like the way they present it. Um, but the Olympia Dukakis character, uh-huh. Aunt Vicky, yeah, just kind of shows up out of the blue twice. Yeah, I I can't imagine that this has any basis in reality. Simply because why would you put your why would you put your aunt in contact with arguably the most violent criminal mm-hmm. element that's out there? And if he's all about family and all about, you know, protecting his, his in any way, keeping himself, um, keeping his cover from being blown, he would never, he would never do something like that. I just don't, it doesn't ring, it didn't ring true at the time in the movie. And I, I can't imagine that it was true. I, I agree. One thing that I thought at the time, like, that's a little unbelievable. Uh, the ants points at that building. She goes, you like that building? We just sold it. Right. But I'm betting back in the early 80s. You could get away with stuff like that. Yeah, but all they had to do was track him down. I mean, all they had to do was follow him home one night. Oh, yeah, if you can. But it's not like now you could just Google it. No. Oh, that bill? No, that's no. owned by this company. Like, yeah, the I amount of stuff saying. you could get away with if you were slick, if you were able to think on your feet. Yeah, but why put? Why bring your 84-year-old aunt into the mix? It, I, I don't She's know. good. She's a charmer. <laughs> I I get it. I just I liked I her character it. though. I thought she was one character too many. She and the Barry Seal character, and then there's a random character that Leguizamo beats up in a bathroom somewhere. That's that was CIA or not CIA? Yeah, I thought that was clear. the guy who was following Brian Cranston around. Yeah, but who is that, and where is he? Whatever happens to him, he got the message to back off. <laughs> uh. They they never made that clear. It's just there's too many of those gaps. It's yeah. like seeing a smile with only thirteen teeth. So, <laughs> so they almost boiled it down too much. Then no, they didn't. I think if they had taken out the Barry Seal character, taken out Olympia Dukakis's character, if you fired Olympia Dukakis and uh, Michael Paré from your movie, then uh, you could have you could have focused it. A little bit better, and if you didn't try to make it, oh, for instance, uh, what was the opening the opening scene? Oh yeah, at the bowling alley. At the bowling alley is disconnected except to show that this guy apparently uh, Mazer was injured, and how the the wire started melting into him. Yeah, I'm guessing it had a short in it or something. They didn't really explain that it was electrocuting it, but he got a burn from it. Yeah, so he's able to get out. But he decides not to. He's going to do one last, <laughs> one last job in 1986. The guy's still working now. The guy's still currently. No, I, I think he actually retired a couple years ago. Uh, all right, he but he a worked a long time going, past. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a long time past. Uh, it's the events of the month. No, I mean apparently that never happened. He never wanted to get out. I think there was pressure from home for him to get out. I don't think his wife enjoyed. But they didn't play this. that up enough. They didn't explain that enough. See, to me, it's like having a f- two full-time jobs plus dealing with the work at home. Because you have to be the, I mean, you have to be a, well, he was a customs, or was he DEA? Customs. Sure? All right, so he's customs agent. And he has to collect all this information and keep it all in track. But he also has to be a money launderer, banker guy, gangster dude. Mm-hmm. And then he has to go home to his real wife. It's, you almost have to live like two different, completely different lives and have two completely different full-time jobs. Ed, it's hard enough for me to do one job now in the summer when I'm not even at work. Yeah, but I, I, I don't so know. I, I, I like incredible. that whole, oh, the stress is incredible, but 
you're putting on these different hats and it's got to be a thrill. Yeah, I think in some said, sick and twisted way. I mean, you're you're around murderers and just criminal lowlifes all the time, but the fact that you're fooling them and you're able to pull this off, it has to feel pretty awesome. It's like in poker when you pull off a great bluff and you just feel like, yeah, I am playing this game at a different level yeah. than everyone else at the table. I bluffed you. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, I, bl- <laughs> I bluffed you this weekend. Congrats at nine two. <laughs> yeah, nothing. I'm sorry. No. Good bluff, but it, it feels I wasn't wonderful. Gonna show uh, he said that he was addicted to information. Mm-hmm. He says that he saw the money there and all it was to him was just uh, evidence. He didn't see money. He didn't see drugs. He wasn't interested in any of that. He just saw it as information. And I became addicted to that, he said in one of these articles I read. So I believe that. Of I believe that this guy is real. I think his story is really interesting. I'm not sure this movie is. Mm-hmm. I, I does the best it. job of presenting that story. So. But you recommend it. I'm not necessarily sure that I recommend it. You had the technical glitch of your movie, right? Yeah, the lights came on in the theater for the last 40 minutes. But, I mean, that that didn't detract too much from the enjoyment. Apparently, that happened at the uh, premiere. And the lights came on. First, there was a blank screen. And then they had no subtitles. And they were supposed to have subtitles. So, Diane Kruger and uh, Olympia Dukakis just walked out of the premiere. (laughs) They didn't stay for the rest of the premiere. So maybe they had places to go. Yeah. So uh, you would recommend people go see Black Mass instead of this? Yeah. Yeah. I like Black Mass a lot more. I I think that was underrated at the time from last year. But we'll see. I'm looking forward to Mina. And that's not until next year. Well, it's supposed to come out January 8th. But I'm hoping that they'll, I'm hoping that they will have a, you know, December release date just for awards consideration to make my prediction come true. I don't know. That stuff's filling up quick. Um, what, the prestige movies? Yeah, the prestige movies. They just moved back that McDonald's movie, The Founder. Yeah. They moved that back to a December release now. It mm-hmm. was supposed to come out in August. So, I mean, there's just, there's so much. The yeah, rest of this they, year, there's... They did there's, that with Bradley Cooper's movie, um, Toast, and to the Jennifer Lawrence movie. I think it was Toast, right? Toast? Joy? Yeah. No, they did it with her movie, too. They put it out in award season. And they put a Bradley Mo- Cooper movie out where he was a chef, and they started trumpeting out for awards consideration, and neither one of them did much. A burnt, I thought. Oh, burnt. Like, yeah. <laughs> toast. Synonyms. Toast sounds was it reasonable. Burnt or toast. All right, burnt. That's burnt. fine. <laughs> so anyway, right. we'll see. You, you, Leguizamo might get a uh, supporting actor nomination on this. Yeah. Diane Kruger could. I like both of their performances. All right. So you remember uh, Dalton Trumbo? Just a little bit. You know who the hero of the movie is, for me. John Goodman? Frank King. Yeah. John Goodman's character. Because when Roy Brewer, for the Motion Picture Alliance of Preservation and Ideals, says that he can introduce him to John Wayne, Frank King says, I love John Wayne. Brewer says, well, you guys could do a movie together. Aw, gee. That would be swell. Except, I don't think you and me are going to be pals. You want to keep me from hiring Union? I'll go downtown and hire a bunch of winos and hookers. It doesn't matter. I make garbage. (laughs) So for Mr. Two Frames Bowl over there. It's been a pleasure. I'm the L-Train, Poxet Bonham. There be dragons. Are you going to the movies this weekend? 
Let Laugh know what you saw. Send in your review by emailing the show at thelaughpodcast at gmail.com, tweeting at the Laugh Podcast, or messaging us on facebook.com backslash the Laugh Podcast. The best comments will get read on a future show. 